You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey there, welcome to the Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake, and here with me today is Darius Dale, founder of 42 Macro. And wow, Darius, like this is a move we are seeing after the Fed. So it's a lot of stuff to unpack. I think yeah. this is a very, very important meeting in terms of the kind of next six to nine months uh, of, of act market activity. It certainly went. Let's catch everybody up if you haven't been glued to your screens. So uh, today, big Fed day, right? End of uh, the two-day meeting. They hiked 50 basis points as expected. But then uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell came out and basically ruled out any aggressive, said they're not actively considering uh, more aggressive rate hikes, basically taking a 75 basis point rate hike uh, for June off the table, which completely surprised the market. The reaction was swift. And as you said, Darius, straight up. Let's just walk through the numbers. They're notable. The major U.S. stock markets were just closing here, uh, rallied 3% across the board. The Dow up nearly 1,000 points. The Nasdaq, 3.19%. The S&P 500 up 3%. Its best gain, I think, since May 2020. Uh, if, if that holds the yields on the 10-year Treasury bond, moving in the opposite direction, back down to 2.92, backing all the way down from 3%. That's a big move. Cryptocurrencies rallying, risk on, and the VIX falling 13%. Um, and again, you know, we'll have to see if this holds. But just what did you make of, of the press conference? Because that seemed to be what really lit this thing going. Yeah, absolutely. So anytime we have one of these sort of off-schedule FOMC meetings where we do not get a, a revised stop plot and summer economic projections. Really, the whole market, the whole world's global financial markets are hinging on one man's uh, mouth. And 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 he's made a couple of comments. Uh, obviously, you alluded to the uh, uh, 75 basis point rate hike being something they're not actively considering. That kind of got things going. You remember that for the first kind of little part of the press conference, markets were, were unchanged. They were on edge looking for the signal. And that was kind of the first uh, aspect of the signal, but the bigger aspect of the signal, why you know we've seen the market kind of you know push itself higher, uh, up about you know just shy of three percent today, just basically where we were last Thursday's highs. By the way, um, I think the comment he made about uh, sort of unintentional—I don't think it was intentional or not—but he kind of said that um, he felt neutral was somewhere between two and a half to three percent. And if you, you think about it, most investors and market participants don't really understand where neutral is. No one knows where neutral is. It's a, it's a wonky uh, academic kind of um, a framework, if you will. But he sort of threw out the Fed's uh, target on that on accident. It didn't seem like he meant to do it. But that's what really catalyzed the markets because market pricing, if you look at euro dollars, overnight index swaps or Fed funds futures, had already gotten there. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the market's like, oh, no, wait, we've already overpriced this. Relative to our inflation forecast, you know, the consensus inflation forecast call for it to come down alongside the feds. Now, that's the end of the dovishness. And so you think about the whole outcome for this meeting. We can unpack this because I mean, it's a loaded statement. This is a very bullish statement in the short term. But everything else he said, and we can uh, go down the list, is extremely bearish from the medium term perspective, particularly in the context of inflation may not uh, to the extent inflation does not get under control. 
Yeah. And, and so let, let's, let's go through what jumped out at you and, and let, let's start with maybe why do you think he felt the need to rule out that 75 basis point hike? Was he trying to tell the markets that they'd overdone it and, and, you know, sitting with the juxtaposition of some of the other stuff that he talked about, what do you think was going on there? Cause that part did not seem accidental. Yeah. So I think, again, I think this as an institution, this is a federal reserve that wants to be measured and data driven. Um, you know, he, this is a, the J that's the legacy of the J Powell fed, right? It's pivots and data driven as opposed to wonky academic, you know, models and forecasts and, and operating monetary policy based on those, those, those tools. Um, and so, you know, taking off 75 basis points out of the, out of the equation, it gives them more flexibility to either, you know, to stick at 50 basis points, which he effectively confirmed for the next several meetings is very much on the table. Uh, he said several, by the way, this is more than what the markets are pricing in. Um, and then sort of um, in terms of the economy, he didn't make any statements that would suggest the Fed is concerned about the economy. In fact, I would argue he made one statement in particular that tells me they don't care about the economy. He didn't say we're trying to get, we're trying to enact a soft landing. He said soft-ish landing. Yeah. And this is the first admission. This is a tacit admission that this is an FOMC that is willing to push the economy into a mild recession in order to tame the inflation drag. And it's the first indication we've gotten from them on that. Is it that, Darius, or is it just that they know they have an awful track record at achieving a soft landing? Like terrible, yeah, well, right? Yeah, well, so there have only been two soft landings, right, in the last, um, really, in, 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 in history of, of significance. <laughs> it was one in 1984, uh, one in 1994. And the reason I think those are very much off the table in this particular juncture, because we had a lot more organic growth potential in the economy back in those those instances. In 1984, when they started the tightening cycle, the unemployment rate was north of 10%. In 1994, when they started the tightening cycle, the unemployment rate was north of 6.5%. Today, we have an unemployment rate of 3.6% that can actually go lower if we start to pull people back into the labor market. So, um, you know, the, the concept of a soft landing from this point in the economic cycle, you know, labor being as tight as it is, inflation being as high as it is, uh, consumers having spent as much as they've already have, to me, it seems like a, a moot point. Yeah. So there's so much to talk about today. I'm going to try to sort of bounce back and forth between um, the really important discussion about the fundamentals. And it is a really important time to have that. And and then also some of the sort of price action that I know people want to get to, too. So let's just keep it short term for a moment. And because we're concentrating on today, let's get this question in right off the bat. We've got awesome ones coming in. You know, I try to get to as many as I can. So keep them coming. But James Learman from the exchange asking Darius, is this a good time to short uh, FB Facebook? I don't know if you're going to talk individual, but as well as the QQQ. Talk to me a little bit about the the fact that we saw this massive rally today. What are you going to be looking at to see whether this has any legs? Oh, so the number one thing you got to look at to see if any rally, any short covering rally has legs, is there enough sort of ammunition left from a Vanna flow perspective? That's a, a third derivative Greek, so we won't have to, we, <laughs> the need, the, we don't need to, we don't have time to get into that now, but it, that just means is there fuel for the rally to continue in terms of dealers having to unwind the hedges associated with the buy side and investors putting on uh, put positions, particularly short data positions, which is kind of the setup that we experience coming into today. Um, so the, the react to answer the question, and I won't answer on Facebook, we don't, we don't cover single stocks, um, but there will present itself an opportunity to get back short or increase the size of your short on something like the NASDAQ. I just wouldn't do it today. You got to let the market breathe and you have to assess the data, particularly from the volatility and positioning side of the trade, because I think in the very immediate term, that's what's driving the boat. 
But again, as I mentioned, from a medium term perspective, even you know a couple of weeks from now, I think the story around this press conference is very much likely to change. Yeah. And James, um, we are also laughing with you. James put in there after the question, pal excited folks with a promise not to move up 75 basis points. Crazy, right? I mean, yes, this is kind of where we're at in terms of trying to figure this out. So Darius, let's shift back to the fundamentals again. Um, When you look at your dashboard, and I know you track all this, what market regime are we in? Are we in an inflationary regime, which seems to be what the Fed is still making the case for? What are you seeing? Yeah, we've been in what we call, so we we have a a framework where we segment sort of market regimes and economic regimes uh, into four different buckets of 42 macro, uh, Goldilocks, reflation, inflation, and deflation. Uh, and we're, we've been in what we call inflation for the most part since going back to early November. Um, so it's been a trending inflation move or stagflation, as many of you guys would uh, would recognize it. Um, so that hasn't changed, and I, I don't anticipate that changing anytime soon. We are very much likely to transition to deflation at some point in the next kind of three to four months here uh, as the momentum in inflation starts to break down. As a matter of fact, we're actually starting to see some of that data. Brian, uh, if you don't mind putting up the chart, Core PCE Momentum, and I got a bunch of charts for everyone today. Uh, the first chart would be Core PCE Momentum. Uh, where we show the um, the the seasonally adjusted level of core PC, the year over year rate of change in the second panel, and on the third panel we show the three month annualized rate of change. The three month annualized rate of change is important, particularly important in this time frame, because we all know that core PC is not going to get anywhere near their two percent inflation target anytime soon. And so, what folks like myself and in the institutional finance community are looking at, or is the sequential momentum in the time series to give us an indication, okay. We're finally starting to get inflation under control. We're still not at that point yet, but we are seeing, if you look at that third panel, a dissipation in the sequential momentum and the trending momentum of the time series, uh, which is supportive of, of base effects driven forecasts that the time series would be lower over the medium term. It's just not going to get to where it needs to be anytime soon. In fact, if you look at our forecast for core PC specifically, we don't have it having a, we, we don't have an under uh, 4% until you get into March of, um, of 23. Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah under 3%. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So, so that's a, the 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 core. The the the. So what what does that say? Or where are you in terms of the underlying economy? How strong or weak is the underlying economy? Yeah. So the underlying economy, on a backward-looking basis, is quite strong. Um, if you look at the under the internals in the Q1 GDP report, we're rock solid uh, from a consumer spending and business perspective. Uh, we got the ISM data this week, so mostly slowing across the board, both U.S. and global economy. But when you take a step back and look at the levels of the ISM, it's consistent with above potential GDP growth. You know, 55.4 on headline ISM for manufacturing, 57.1 on headline for services. This is an economy that is still growing at a very robust pace. Now, the problem with that. And this is this is why we're in such an awkward position from a from a market timing perspective. We're going. It's very likely, at least according to our models and our forecasts at 42 Macro, we're going to transition from going at an above potential pace, above trend pace, to a below trend pace by the end of Q3. And so between now and let's call it, you know, October in terms of getting and receiving all that data, 
you know, there's going to be a realization amongst market participants that the Fed, that one, whatever the Fed thinks neutral is, might actually be lower. And two, mm. the market, the markets have to now price in a much more significant shock to economic activity, corporate profits, et cetera, et cetera. And on those points, another couple charts for you today, um, yeah, uh, Brian. Yeah, Brian. So uh, throw up the chart forward guidance, mortgage rates. I got two charts about forward guidance. And this is uh, something I tweeted about uh, prior to the show. We are in uncharted territory on a lot of metrics. And, you know, I, I hate to say this time is different, but this is a very unique time, you know, in terms of, you know, as far back as we can pull back a lot of time series relative to policy setup, relative to the growth setup, relative to the inflation setup. Um, particularly right now, what, what's new in this particular juncture is the forward guidance function out of the Fed. And Jay Powell actually talked to this, right? Uh, he spoke specifically, he said, monetary policy is working through expectations now. Consumers and businesses are already feeling the effects of our tighter policy. So going back to this chart, the top panel shows uh, manufacturing PMI in the red and mortgage rates, uh, the 30-year national average fixed rate mortgage in the blue line. And every, the second panel just shows the trailing three-year Z-score of the blue line of the, of the mortgage rate. And as you can see on a trailing three-year Z-score basis, this is the biggest shock in mortgage rates we have going in, in mm. the data going all the way back to 1998, as far as we back as we can get the data. And as you can see, every time we've had a shock in, in mortgage rates, we've seen a significant slowdown uh, in the manufacturing economy. Obviously, housing is a big component of that. Put up the second chart there, Brian, for guidance, corporate borrowing costs. Same same analysis, you know. So instead of uh, mortgage rates in the blue line in the upper panel, uh, we're showing uh, the the Bloomberg Barclays average corporate uh, yield to worse. So you know the, the average uh, yield on corporate uh, debt outstanding, of which there's by the way there's 12 trillion total. Um, it's a lot more than we have in previous tightening cycles. So that's going to be a problem. You know now we have a near three three sigma shock in corporate borrowing costs as well. And so as you can see in that chart, the panels line up in terms of the drawdowns we've seen. That's the bottom panel in these charts. In, in the manufacturing PMI index. And so that's my sort of long-winded, data-driven way of telling you, look, this economy is about to have a significant slowdown. We are on the precipice of a significant slowdown in growth and that has not been realized yet. And so this is what I've been saying on every daily briefing for the past, I don't know, four months, five months. Mm -hmm. There's going to come a point in time in the middle of the year where the Fed is doing this with policy rate tightening and the economy is doing this. And guess yeah. what happens to financial market multiples and credit spreads when that happens? It's ugly. Let me understand where inflation fits in th this view. So the, the, the economy is weakening. Is inflation also going to come down or is this where the stagflation comes in? Slow growth, high inflation. Yeah, no. So our models have both core inflation and core PC having peaked uh, alongside headline okay. CPI. I don't think that's the, the real story here. Because I, I don't think there's a human being in finance that has any chops on forecasting that thinks inflation hasn't peaked already. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if the year of year rate of change peaks. What matters is if, you know, in terms of the base effects, we all know the base effects are going to kick in and drag the time series lower. What matters is the momentum in the time series and where we're likely to be a year from now when the base effects fall out of the, the, the equation. You know, we can't just rely on base effects to take inflation back to 2% because mm -hmm. it's not going to. It's going to take us back to something like 5% on headline three and a half percent on core, and we're going to be stuck at levels that are significantly higher than the Fed's mandate, which is why they're tightening ahead of time. You know, this is why they're tightening into an inflation deceleration, because they understand that base effects aren't going to do enough of the work for them. Um, so on the inflation side, uh, one thing I think the Fed is particularly concerned about, uh, Brian, if you put up the chart, uh, ECI versus quits rate, and Powell talked about this uh, today as well. He started talking about this a couple months ago, um, prior to the March FOMC, which is this supply demand imbalance in the labor market. 
Uh, we can see it through the JOLTS data we got yesterday, all-time high in job openings um, relative to the total number of unemployed workers. Uh, that's an all-time high as a ratio as well. But this ECI versus quits rate dynamic is really interesting because, one, we have an all-time high in employment cost index. That's the, in terms of the year-over-year rate of change at 4.5%. That is the, you know, that, the reason that matters is because that's the broadest measure of wages in the economy, wages, salaries, benefits, et cetera. Um, and you see the quits rate is just shy of an all-time high. And so that's telling us, that's telling the Fed, that's telling the financial markets that there is a secondary wave of inflation building, an underlying inflation wave building that this Fed is trying to get out in front of and cut off at the head. Now, they, they have a choice on that. They could favor financial market stability and, and, and financial conditions and, you know, we'll keep the S&P 500. He said uh, in, in the press conference, which is, you know, he wants to let the American public know that we work for them, not Wall Street. And I think this yeah. is a Jay Powell led Fed that is, is uh, very, very keen on 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 sacrificing Wall Street at, for the time being to sort of meet the uh, meet the demands of the American public. It's important that we take the time to talk about that because the macro framework uh, is critical and there's a lot of disagreement on it, right? I mean, we, that's why we've rolled out this series of amazing conversations on the topic this week, um, interviews all week long, kicking off with Rao laying out his base case and then challenging others to push against it, right? And sort of see if they can change his mind. Juliet DeClerc uh, was one of the people that he sat down with uh, this week from uh, founder of JDI Research. And this is what she had to say about the risk of recession. Let's have a listen. We, you and me, have never actually had to, um, to to analyze an economy where there is inflation. But when there is inflation, the first thing is actually inventory costs are, are down dramatically. And in fact, uh, you might make money on, on high inventory beyond the fact that you actually want to guarantee your production. Um, the same thing is actually true for employment, because, you know, as we well know, uh, employment can drop down um, really quickly when there's a shock on the economy and no inflation, because you have to cut your cost, um, labor cost, by actually laying off people. In an infl inflationary environment, you can just basically freeze salaries and actually cut, cut your, your labor cost without firing anyone. So it's much more difficult to bring an economy where there is inflation down. And that's really what I'm seeing in the US, where the credit impulse is still, it's turned, obviously, but it's still at a very strong level. Uh, banks are lending happily. Uh, consumers are basically able to subsidize um, the, 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 the cost and the purchasing power drop from inflation with higher uh, credit. And, um, you know, everything else equal, that could be sort of like the bridge to eventually higher wage and lower inflation. And that's what I'm saying. That's basically uh, what I'm seeing in the US right now. I love it. And that's what we talk about, about continuing testing your thesis to see if it holds up. That full interview available to all RV members, as is the whole series called Global Recession, Is Everyone Wrong? Um, and I'll give you more info on where to find that a little bit um, at the end of the show. Um, but Darius, let's dive in. We got we got a bunch of questions um, and a lot of them addressed this. You can tell everyone's sort of thinking about this and mulling it over. Um, question about from Edmund on YouTube. Why is the dollar weakening? Wasn't 50 basis points priced in? 
No, so the, the, the global markets, so this goes back to my point about the comment on neutral. Again, I, I don't think he intended to clarify, uh, to clarify the Fed's position on the neutral rate. In fact, if you look at the FOMC, they all have different forecasts for what the neutral rate is. He sort of kind of leaked his, um, and I don't think that's a real basis for policy, but the market certainly took it that way, just given the setup heading into the FOMC of a lot of you know, short delta, um, you know, short dated, short delta put options uh, exposure. So that's getting unwound. It's catalyzing a squeeze in the market. And basically a lot of that same exposures is being reversed um, in the currency and, and, and bond markets as well. And again, so the, in our opinion, this is a short term sort of you know, trying to trading activity, um, if you will, in terms of traders repositioning, booking gains, et cetera, et cetera, getting out of positions. I think the real story starts you know, when you start to get further into, you know, May, you know, May 11th, we get uh, April CPI, May 27th, we get April PCE. These data points are going to show, confirm the dis deceleration, um, they're likely to confirm the deceleration we're um, going to see in inflation. And to me, what I, what I took away from this meeting, and I think eventually markets are going to get to this point, which is the deceleration doesn't matter. We have to get the momentum of inflation. Powell said it. One month's mm -hmm. inflation reading does not tell us much. We need to see evidence that inflation is, in fact, under control. And it's not like we will stop there. We might just go back to 25 basis point increases. Yeah. So we, to me, we confirm, he confirmed today that the sort of Wall Street narrative around once inflation peaks, you got to buy stocks is a stupid ass narrative. Part of my language. This is a really dumb narrative. They're going to continue tightening through that deceleration until the momentum of the time series gets under control. And that could be several months, if not through two or three quarters away. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Well, that, that that doesn't bode well uh, for for this rally continuing anyway, or risk assets at all in that fact. In fact, Angela on the exchange asking Darius, crypto market strengthened today, but with growth slowing uh, and inflation potentially peaking, doesn't that mean more downside? Uh, yeah, and again, I, I, I caution everyone. I mean, we all just learned. We saw what happened in the March FOMC. You know, we had basically a, a three week, you know, three and a half week you know, mother rip your face off rally. I mean, that was one of the most painful short squeezes uh, certainly in my career. I, I certainly felt some pain in that. I'm sure everyone did uh, who had any shorts on in that in that circumstance. You know, today and tomorrow is not the time to run out and play Johnny Cowboy and put all your shorts back on and, and the world's ending. No, there is going to be a process. You know, the market has to digest everything that I'm saying. Not everyone's going to assume and digest or consume the data and digest everything at the same pace or to even to the same magnitude because it's all based on their prior um, their prior projections, right? You know, we're all operating under this sort of prospect theory time that's our mindset um, in financial markets, and it's been our view the whole time that the Fed is going to tighten us into a slowdown and over tighten into that slowdown and cause a significant tightening of that financial conditions and and nothing, Jay Powell. In fact. The vast majority of things Jay Powell said today is co are confirming of that view. Yeah, and and this is why we talked about their terrible track record at soft landings. This is why, <laughs> because they this is this is usually how it how it works. Well, Questions? if you if you suck at soft landings, just just make up a new landing. It's soft dish landing. You know? Exactly, soft dish. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the ish. I'll be there at four ish, right? as we saw today. <laughs> 
Um, a question from uh, Bill on the exchange. Does the we, we haven't even, by the way, we're talking all about what he said about 75 basis points. We haven't talked about the fact that they're going to be reducing their balance sheet as well, or trying to, starting June 1st. Bill's question is, does the Fed's quantitative tightening, right, reducing the assets on their balance sheet, 30 billion coupon bills, uh, a month, 15 billion in mortgage-backed securities. Does that even matter when there's one plus trillion dollars sitting in reverse repo? Will we even feel any tightening before RRP is drained approximately 22 months from now? I've spent a lot of hours, and I might go on a rant here, so forgive me in advance. I spent a lot of hours year to date trying to figure that question out. In terms of, you know, okay, is is the reverse repo going to come here and save the day? And then, you know, getting towards the end of that answer, you figure out that, hey, it really depends on what Janet Yellen and the Treasury Department do in terms of issue the composition of of Treasury debt issuance. They're going to issue a lot of coupons, in which pay, in which case the reverse repo, the the re, you know the standard repo facilities are in a, no, sorry, the reverse repo is trapped to there in terms of uh, not being able to capitalize that. Or they're going to issue a lot of uh, bills and and allow that money to sort of find a home and offset quantitative tightening. Well, we got another wrench thrown in the two other wrenches thrown in there in the last two weeks. She's taken out the Treasury General account balance to nine hundred plus billion dollars as a function of really strong tax receipts. And so she can offset quantitative tightening, at least the first call it, you know, first year roughly of quantitative tightening on her own by draining the Treasury General account. So there's all these weird dynamics going on and going back and forth that make me sort of, you know, kind of question whether or not, you know, we're kind of missing the point, which is the broader point, which is prior to this, you know, three percent rally. S&P 500 was down 15% from its high. NASDAQ was down 20% from its high. And the dang reverse repo is sitting there at $2 trillion. Where's all that damn excess liquidity? Right? Like, the, to me, like, I think we're missing, I think sometimes we try to, and, and, and again, this is a rant, so I apologize. You know, I spend a lot of time on FinTwit interacting with investors. And, you know, they're very sophisticated investors, buy-siders, former Fed members, former government officials. And then there's a lot of folks who sort of listen to them and sort of repair that information. And then there's a lot of folks who think they figured out the plumbing of the financial system, or they think they figured out third derivative options Greeks, but they have not. And mm -hmm. so to me, I just want to tell everyone to just take a breather, take a step back and realize that this stuff is extremely complicated. Mm -hmm. The stock market is down, the NASDAQ down 20% from its high. ARC is down 70, 80, 90% from its high. And the dang reverse repo has been sitting there at 1.7 to $2 trillion the whole time. That should tell you that that's not the panacea you hope it is. Stop trying mm. to outsmart yourselves. Good advice. We're going to be, I'm going to be putting a lot of these questions. Jeff Snyder's uh, going to be with us on Friday and he thinks a lot oh, about financial guy. plumbing. Yeah. So um, I'm going to, so come on back with those questions again on Friday as well. And, and we'll see what Jeff has to say about it, um, Bill, because um, again, he's, he's somebody who spent a lot of time thinking about this. Um, so uh, we've got another question from Adam on the RB site, Darius, the skew in ACWX looks like quite a bit of negativity is priced in. Are you looking to fade this up upside move soon? Those are probably been, uh, juiced out uh, after today's squeeze. I mean, you get a 3% squeeze in the S&P. You've, you've crushed all eyeball premium, all skew, for, at least for the short-term time frame. So we got to refresh the models. We'll get the options data at 645 tonight. Um, be back at in our leadoff morning note, 42 macro leadoff morning note tomorrow morning about that. Awesome. John from the RV site asking, great question, John. Uh, Darius, in your view, has recession in Europe, second largest economy, and recession slowdown in China, third largest, been priced into equity markets? So it's definitely been priced into China. And quite frankly, I'm looking to get long China. It's not the time yet. So don't run out and buy China tomorrow. But 
Um, China's got a really interesting setup here that is very separate and apart from what we're observing in the U.S. and certainly from what we're observing in Europe, uh, which I'll talk to talk, speak to in a second. If you think about China, you know, China's manufacturing and service PMIs, where we had on China, 47.4 is the lowest in manufacturing since February 20, service PMI 41.9 since Feb 20. China is in a depression right now purely as a function of po- political policy, you know, COVID's uh, zero, the zero COVID policy. They're going to come out of that at some point in the next, you know, four to six weeks. And that's going to be a positive impulse for Chinese growth. They're likely to start to layer on fiscal stimulus to, to aid that recovery. And that's one of the reasons, you know, they've been talking up fiscal or stimulus for a while now from a rhetorical perspective. They haven't done anything meaningful yet. Partially, in my opinion, I think because the economy is locked down. Why would you stimulate into a, a place a place where people can't even leave their homes? It doesn't make any sense. So I think China is likely to go on a reflationary run, um, kind of, you know, starting what's called in the next four to six weeks, you're likely through the end of the year. And that'll be a great place to hide if you're an equity investor or someone who really needs to maintain some exposure in global equities. I think flowing funds out of, you know, the NASDAQ and out of all these crowded names that everyone's, you know, make, you know, high quality compounders or secular growers that, you know, they've been smoked and flowed them into something that, you know, has an equal, equal opportunity for growth that's actually improving at the margins. Europe, I mean, Europe, all bets are off. I mean, they haven't talked about the gas situation yet, but the ban on Russian energy um, this proposed ban on Russian energy, in my opinion, is just another step forward towards the inevitable, in my opinion, which is they're going to fl- cut out the taps from Russia. And it's going to be really painful for Europe, but it's going to be even more painful for Russia. And it's just going to be, you know, Raul talks about this. And oh, by the way, Raul's been really killing it with his leadership, his thought leadership in the last kind of three or four weeks. Right. He's been kind of really he's been the voice of reason you know, kind of gathering all this information. So shout out to Ralph for, for really, yeah, he's been, he's been on fire. You know, he loves his big fire, macro. Yeah. This is like a time to be a macro person, right? Because the, yeah. there, we have all of these different, you know, confluence of events. And so this is, this is where they really shine. And he's been fantastic. He's fantastic. You haven't listened to his kickoff to our global recession series. You yeah, have the to countdown to recession. That is yeah. one of the best videos I've seen in, in yeah. many months. So because yeah, this definitely. is the, this is the kind of thing, again, this framework, and we're going to be doing a lot more on this too. This is, this is the framework that you have to have as you start to build the different pieces um, of your sort of, you know, your investing, your style, what's going to work for your portfolio. And by the way, we have some questions in here about your asset allocation or portfolio, but what do we say all the time, Darius? Like, we don't know your risk profile, right? Like, Darius can't answer that question because he doesn't know you. It's it's super personal to you, but I understand what you're going at. So let me, let me ask, let me paraphrase a couple of them if I can. And we're going to go a little bit longer today because it was such a big market day and there's so much to break down and so many mm-hmm. questions. Um, and and we'll, I know Darius will be kind and, and stay with us for a couple extra question oh. um, from YouTube. Is energy still a buy? We just talked about, you know, that potential ban on Russian oil and what it would mean for the European and Russian economy. What about for energy, both the commodity? You didn't specify um, on this question whether you're talking about energy equities or the energy commodity itself. But but let's let's pick one um, for us, Darius. Is energy still a buy? What about precious metals like gold and silver? Yeah, so uh, it's getting harder for for gold and silver, and this real rate move has been real. Um, I think eventually you'll get a, a buying opportunity in gold, but I'm, I'm not so sure that that buying opportunity is here. It looks like gold actually does want to break down quantitatively. Uh, energy is is obviously and very clearly still a buy. I mean, it's it's it, in my opinion, I think it's still the number one place to be from an equity allocation perspective because on one hand, you you certainly get the geopolitical risk uh, priced into those assets. Um, at least at the, the bare minimum, it's a hedge for some further geopolitical um, um, developments. But on the other hand, it's also a hedge for what if we're bearish and things are wrong. We're wrong, 
and things are actually don't the growth does not slow down meaningfully. Oh, and by the way, China stimulates even more than we think. You're going to want to have some long exposure on the risk asset side in your portfolio. And I see energy as a place where you win in multiple ways where I don't necessarily see that in pockets of the market like tech or financials or, you know, other other pockets of the market that have been kind of crowded, certainly crowded coming into the year. Great answer. Um, so Napo asking on the RV site, um, how is your asset allocation right now? Um, so that gives us part of the answer, I think, Darius, between cross asset, right? Equity, crypto breakdown. Um, how are you looking at this? And are, are there oh, any no goes, any places where you're just like absolutely not in this environment? Well, this one, man, uh, Anthony, uh, it's a big, big time PM on Wall Street. If it's who I think it is, uh, it's, uh, tell him I said hi. Um, uh, so it's, it's it, one, I'll say, uh, I'll, I'll give some vague generalities because, again, our, our clients at 42 Macro pay for this specific information. Yep. This is, you know, we make our prices are incredibly reasonable. I don't know why people don't sign up, but, or why does everyone sign up? But that's neither here nor there. Cash is king in environments like these. One, if you think about the sort of the path we've taken to get to where we're at on the SP, like 42. 200 or something like that, 4,300. We've gone up to like 47, 4,800, gone down to 4,000, gone back up to 4,600, down to like, you know, 40, 4,100, back to, you know, it's just like the amount of volatility we've stomached in this, in as an investors, the amount of times you've probably gotten whipped around as an investor year to date is enough for you know, a whole career, you know, let alone one year. Yeah. And so the reality is we're in a, we're in an environment where you know, the, the, the sort of, you know, the, the, the apps, the beta in most asset classes is negative. And what I mean by beta, just the market return in most asset classes is negative. So in order to make money, one, you need to either be in the very small percentage of assets that are actually appreciating in price, or you need to have some sort of actively managed strategy that, um, that you know, that helps you generate alpha in the times like these. Fortuitously, for the people who do pay for our research at 42 Macro, we have both. This is a great question. I always like this. And it's sort of what we're doing with this series. What would make you change your scenario? Yeah, the data. Your stance, I mean, you know, like, what are you looking at? And, and, and I'll tack on to that. What are the forward indicators that we should be paying attention to? Because some of them, as you pointed out before, I mean, we have a big jobs number coming out tomorrow, right? Some things are more backward looking. Some things are really forward leaning. And, and I know Raul's been talking about the things that he looks at. So what would refute your stance and what are the things that you're looking at for like the early hint on where things are headed so you can position for it? Yeah. So, I mean, let's, it's, so we have sort of two separate processes at 42 Macro that really sort of fuse, fuse together to really inform our asset allocation um, and investment decision making. One is what we call our bottom-up macro regime forecasting. That's what grid, you know, Goldilocks, reflation, inflation, deflation. Is the economy in? Where is it headed? Is it agreeing with that? Um, and secondarily, this is what we call our top-down market regime now casting process. Is the market pricing in the current scenario, or is it starting to transition to pricing in the future scenario? And if it's doing neither of those, then it's obviously telling you that, that the forecast or there's going to be some forecast error that you have to adjust to. And the one place I, I, I continue to, you know, I don't lose sleep over it, um, just given the kind of the, 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 the real hawkish tone of this, this press conference. Yeah, I lose sleep over it less now, but there's a real sort of you know, kind of legitimate bull case here. If inflation pancakes over the next few months, mm -hmm. what you're likely to see is an inflation in real incomes, a pick a further pickup in consumer spending and an economy that is you know not going to slow as precipitously as we currently expect it will just as a function of the sort of monetary tightening and, and base effects dynamics that we already have baked into the cake 
that's obviously a very positive scenario for asset markets from this particular level, from these prices, from these valuations, from this level of sentiment. I don't think that's the modal outcome. I think it's probably somewhere close to a 20% probability. Um, but with clearly the base case scenario is that we are marching at a slowdown, an economic slowdown that is likely to, to uh, deteriorate, i.e. speed up to the downside. And the Fed is very unlikely to be responsive to that in the early juncture because they actually want financial conditions to tighten. Um, it's, and this is what, you know, just go back to my, my comment I made at the beginning of the year. Two, I made two comments at the beginning of the year that are now consensus. One, I think the Fed's going to tighten if they break something. And we're going to start talking about the recession word sooner rather than later. Obviously, recession is now, you know, the front page headline news every other day when the yield curve inverted. But this whole concept of the Fed breaking something, I don't think investors really believe it yet. And mm -hmm. I do believe they'll believe it when the S&P's at 3,600 in six months. Which, which is painful. And it's hard when you see a day like today because everybody's looking to see if that's the bottom and, you know, whether they should sort of jump on. So super important to be thinking about that. Darius, awesome stuff today, as always. Thank you so much. Such a great day to have you on. Um, you. And just a little bit more information for everybody. I mean, Darius, like, really laid out the importance of not only talking about specific things he's looking about, but, but about understanding this framework and pushing against it and making sure his thesis is on track. That's exactly why we have um, done uh, this series, Global Recession, Is Everyone Wrong? It's for all RB subscribers. If you're already a subscriber, it's free. And some great stuff on there already, um, as we showed you today. But if you are not, you can go to realvision.com forward slash global recession and get a 14-day trial for just $1. So you can hear from all these great minds about what they're thinking about, the things they're looking at, so you can try to do it too. Um, and again, this is for whether you're short-term trading, investing, or if you just want to have a really smart conversation with your financial advisor, um, which is key. You know, you want to be sort of having your hands on the wheels at this time because it really matters and you don't want to suffer a big drawdown. So super, super excited about it. I got to go binge watch a bunch of them tonight, um, but I hope you do the same. Can I make be one right parting comment? Yeah, please, Darius. Yeah, this is what, just really quickly. When I say we have a large cash allocation and when I tell investors to, to, to raise cash and have a big cash allocation, as I've been saying for several months now, it's not with the intention of just necessarily avoiding the drawdown. Obviously, you want to avoid the drawdown in your, your net, your, all the money you've worked so hard to, to build over the course of your lifetime. But it's also so that you can have money to buy when the prices are cheap and the Fed's about to pivot dovish again. Yeah. You know, how many people are watching this show kicking themselves saying, hey, look, I wish I'd have bought the bottom in March of 2020, or I wish I'd have bought the bottom in December of 2018, or the bottom in March of 2009. Well, you yep. can't buy the bottom if you don't have any dang cash. So nope. be careful out there and, and just, you know, kind of take, take, it, take it easy. That's exactly right. You want to have your powder dry so you can get those, what we now know are generational opportunities when they come around. But if you're not set up for it, then you're not going to be able to take advantage. Bingo. Fantastic advice, Darius. Thank you so much. Listen, have a great night, everybody. Take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.